Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for what you have wrought. Lord, as we've been looking through this process, the vision that began 30-some years ago, and then 15 years ago, the actual designs coming into play, and then the groundbreaking 10 years ago, and all that's taken place since then, step by step, we have seen your hand. And Lord, we know, according to your promise, that you who began this good work here, you have been faithful, and you will be faithful to complete it. Thank you so much for the generosity and the, the passion, the heart of love that you've given each one of our members here to contribute, as they already have. And Father, even today, as we complete this project, Lord, the, the gifts on the altar that have been presented to you. So we thank you, Lord, and we honor you through this time and in your mission. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And the people of God said, amen, amen. This is beautiful, isn't it? I know it's, it may be smaller than what we're used to, but remember, bigger isn't always better, right? It's quality. This is a beautiful piece. We praise God for that. And by the way, uh, I'll be thankful not to have to use our mini hot tub over here anymore. It was, it was great while we needed it. God used it. Uh, but we're thinking maybe of adding some jets to it, using it in the pastor's offices for a hot tub. We're not sure yet. <laughs> we'll have to have a probably business meeting to figure that one out. Anyway. We praise God that we're here today to worship, and we praise God for each one of you that have joined us in this time of worship. As we enter this time in God's Word, I just ask us to bow our heads for one more word of prayer to invite the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. Father in heaven, we are here today because of you. You are the God of the universe. You are our creator. And so on this day that you have made, we are here to rejoice and be glad in it, rejoicing in your goodness and your grace. We're here to rejoice in your, your amazing love that you have bestowed upon us in so many ways. And the cross of Calvary, the ultimate expression of that love. Father, today as we worship you through your word, I pray that you would just be present. Lord, send your Holy Spirit in a special way to speak to our hearts. Lord, may our heart song be to you today as we read your word, as we worship you through it, that your heart may be warmed. And Father, we may be transformed in the process. So we praise you ahead of time for what you're going to do. We ask this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. This past week, I'm not trying to complain, guys. I know I was mentioning another issue I had the other week about internet. Um, I had another issue this past week. This time, it was a car issue. My, my, my head gasket blew. Have you ever had a head gasket blow on your engine? Yeah, I see some hands going up. When, when that happens, it's, it's not fun for a number of reasons. Your, your, your engine starts overheating very quickly, and you realize if you don't stop or figure it out, you're going to blow your engine all up, and you won't be able to go anywhere anyway. And so you're in a dilemma. And then when you call the repair place, then you're really in a dilemma because it's, a, it's an extensive, expensive job. So praise God, he's uh, given us some direction on how we're going to figure that one out. But in the midst of that, we received a blessing. Well, my brother, many of you are aware, has moved into the area. He's the new pastor at Celebration down in Orlando. My older brother, he was from Tampa Church for a while, Tampa First. And so he's now living in Apopka. His wife's working at FLA, and his son goes there. And there's a blessing with having family close by. First of all, it's just having them close by because we love each other. We're great friends. We love hanging out with them. And so that's the, the first blessing. But the second one is that you can borrow stuff from each other, right? That's great when there's family. So, 
So he saw, he saw, I didn't even ask, and he saw my knee last week. He came over and helped me. We did the little fluid test, and we determined again, confirming the mechanic's word, there's a blown head gasket. There was the bubbles going up like crazy. There's air leaking into the engine. And so I couldn't drive it. He goes, listen, Brian. He says, my son has a car you can use. He said, uh, so which one? He goes, oh, it's, it's the Civic. I was like, cool, Honda Civic. He goes, well, yeah. And, and when I remember, that's about a 1998 Civic. It's a little older, 270,000 miles. These are great cars, by the way. If they tell you they run forever, you can barely kill them. This is a fine example of that. So it's an older car. It's been passed between the kids, his three kids, and the youngest is now driving it. And so he goes, you can use it as long as you need to to get your car figured out. And so it's a five-speed. I haven't driven five-speed forever. And so I, I graciously accepted it, and I'm so thankful for that. I've been able to go back and forth to work and drop Brandon off at school. And now, now granted, here, here's, here's the catch to the car. So my nephew, my oldest nephew, when he first got it, apparently, he, he added a tuned tailpipe to it, right? So, so it's a Honda Civic. The engine is all stock, right? Nothing done to it. But it sounds like a tuner car. So when you're driving it, it's, just, it's a really loud, high-pitched noise. It sounds really fast, but then when you punch the gas... There's nothing. So it's like, it's like the fast and the furious, but there's only the furious, not the fast. That's all we got going on. It's a lot, of, a lot of noise. Matter of fact, on the car line to pick Brandon up, he's like, Dad, you got like the loudest car that comes through there. He was, he was like, can you pick me up like somewhere else on campus? So I hate to embarrass him, but Brandon's all we got right now. This is, this is a blessing. Let's, let's enjoy it. It's kind, of, it's kind of fun driving five-speed again after all these years. So, so there's even guys trying to challenge me on the road, coming up beside me with their tuner cars. I'm like, I got nothing. Sorry, guys. <laughs> nothing going on here. <laughs> Just kidding. Nobody's challenged me, even though the noise may have uh, may promote that. But, but as I thought about that this week, it, it just reminded me of, of something that can happen within the body of Christ. You know, many times we could have all of the right noise, we can have all the right sounds. How we translate that into the church is that we can have all the right words, all the right beliefs, and all the right things to say. But if we don't have the power of God behind it, we're just making noise. We can have all the fury, but if we don't have the power of the gospel, the power of God within us working, we're just making noise. How many times in the, as the body of Christ do we tout the right beliefs, tout the right things that we say, the right words, the right phrases, the appropriate thing, but we lack the power of God to accompany what he wants to do? Today we're going to delve into God's word because I believe this is the greatest need in the church of Jesus today. In accordance with his mission, we've been talking this whole year about renewal. We, we talked in the beginning about renewing our walk with God, our, our commitment to him, but then also our time with him. We then moved into the phase of renewing relationships because we grow in Christ through community, through the body of Christ, through our relationships with our family, with other people. And now we've moved into our third phase of the year with renewal, which is renewing our focus and our passion for God's mission. 
Because as we grow in Christ, the natural result is that we will grow in what is important to him and participate and join him in what is important to him in his heart, his passion. And so let's turn our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Jesus had resurrected. He was now on the verge of his ascension to heaven. And he's with his disciples. And so as we look at Acts chapter 1 verse 6, we pick up where Jesus is giving his last words to his disciples before being caught up into the clouds. It says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They they still had it wrong. They thought Jesus was still going to restore an earthly kingdom. How frustrating would that be for Jesus? Or should it have been for Jesus? He was with them three and a half years. They saw him die on the cross. They saw all that he had predicted take place. He had told them numerous times his kingdom was not of this world. They still did not get it up to the very moment he was leaving to heaven. How was he going to leave this group of 12 people who still didn't have it together to accomplish what he would asked them to do? It's like when you ask your, your kids, hey, do this, and, you, and, you, and you're saying, well, I think it might happen. If it's something real important, you want to be there with them to make sure it happens, right? But Jesus said, I'm going. I'm going. And I'm trusting you with what I have asked you to do, which is my mission. And so Jesus says this, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. And he was even gracious in his response, as he always is, which the Father has put in his own authority. He's talking about the the heavenly kingdom. But he says this. He says, here's what you need to know. Verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the what? The earth. The entire planet will be encapsulated by this mission that Jesus is sending his disciples on. These disciples who didn't have it together, who still didn't understand, they had a mental block about what his kingdom was truly about even after all that took place. But Jesus entrusts them with the most important work ever committed to mankind. These 12 rejects of society, these fishermen, tax collectors, people who were not by means of education or training, in a human sense, equipped for this, but equipped by the presence of Jesus. He says that they would receive power in verse 8. That word power is dunamis. You've probably heard this word before. It's the same word we get dynamite. There is real power, not just figurative power. There is power in the Holy Spirit. Power to accomplish things. Not just a tailpipe that makes a lot of noise. But through the Holy Spirit, there is actually strength and power along with the noise. It's the total package. Because God is the total package. He is everything. He is all in all. And he is not like the car that's all bark and no bite. He is the infinite one of the entire universe. One thing that we see as we look forward, Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, what happens next? He gives them instructions, and thankfully they at least got this part. 
verse 12, it says, They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all, as they go up to this room, do something. They begin to do something of utmost importance. What's it say? It says they all continue with one accord. They were together united in purpose, but also united in what? In prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers as well. Even Jesus' family was part of the group. One thing to remember, God's power is always prayed down that is never worked up. Don't think the Holy Spirit can be worked up by doing all sorts of different exercises or or doing certain mantras. No, no. It is prayed down. It is never worked up. Never mistake where the Holy Spirit comes from. He is prayed down, not because he's depending on prayers, but God has chosen that method so that our hearts are prepared to receive him. What happens? We see God gives physical manifestations of this power when the Spirit comes. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. What happens when the Spirit finally comes? Chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord, still in one place. And suddenly there came this sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Boom! There is a rushing wind. There is a visual sign of tongues of fire coming down. And then there is the manifestation, literally through them, of them speaking languages that they did not know. But why? We'll see that in just a minute. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, we see another time the Holy Spirit comes again. And by the way, I've said this before. This was later on. But they pray for the Holy Spirit to fill them a second time in chapter 4. Verse 31, it says, When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was what? It was shaken. There was a minor earthquake there. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with what? Boldness. We see a theme happening here. When the Spirit falls, God's word is spoken. It breaks down barriers. It moves the gospel outside of ourselves to those around us. When the Spirit falls, God is working. There is power. It showed showed physical manifestations of power, but even more so spiritually. One of my favorite places to visit is Washington, D.C. and the museums there. And probably my favorite museum is the Air and Space Museum. How many of you guys have been there? Just amazing. I love airplanes. I love... Uh, looking at the old, through each generation, successive generations, starting with the Wright Brothers plane, the different technology that's developed. They have rockets there, just life-size actual things. And I'm always amazed when you look at these enormous planes hanging there from the ceiling, some that have broken the sound barrier two or three-fold more than the sound barrier. And then you're looking at these things, and it's just a shell. It's just hanging there, but there's nothing to it anymore. There's no engine. There's no power. There's nothing. It's just sitting there as an example of what was at one point in time. And you sit there and marvel at it, but it does nothing. As enjoyable as it is, many times I'm reminded of how that even can be associated with us. 
because we need the dunamis today. We need the power of God. Many times we as God's people, we as a church, I'm talking to all of us, including me, we as God's people are satisfied with becoming simple exhibits of of like a museum. An exhibit where we come and we look at it and we think, man, it was so wonderful back in the day when God was working, when God was doing something, when the Spirit fell. Wow, what an amazing time. Remember when God did this? Remember when God did that? And we view the church as an exhibit. And we walk past it and we say, wouldn't it be nice if one day God would do something again? And we keep going. Or else maybe, maybe we've, we've made the church at times a monument. Maybe not an exhibit, maybe a monument. Where we've beautified it, we've, we've made it into something that's noteworthy. And yet we, we, we invite people to come and, and appreciate its beauty. And what it is. But yet that's it. <laughs> the church is more than an exhibit. The church is more than a monument. It is not something to make a name for ourselves. It is not something to make a statement to impress anybody. The church is here for one single purpose. And that purpose is exemplified through the Holy Spirit. And it is empowered by the Spirit. And that purpose is single. I should say it's twofold. Number one is to glorify God and be part of the body of Christ. But the body of Christ has a purpose. And today we need this place to be filled with God's mighty rushing wind. We need the flaming tongues of fire. We need him to shake the foundations of this building of our lives and whatever it takes to get us out of our seats so we can receive the power to accomplish what God has called us to do. Fresh wind, fresh fire. So what is the mission of the kingdom? The power of the kingdom is the Holy Spirit. What is the mission? Why has God raised up his church? Why did he send his disciples out there in Acts chapter 1? What was the purpose? Was it to set up an earthly kingdom to make a name for ourselves? Or is there something much more? God had a specific purpose, a laser focus for his disciples. But power that is not focused does not accomplish much. But focus a small amount of energy and power, and it can do amazing things. Much, much in accordance with God's will. Where there's much energy, power is stored up, and it's merely potential energy. Many times the church of God, we have a lot of potential energy, stored up energy. We, we store up things in the storehouse of our souls and our hearts and our churches, and we do not release it to what God wants to do. And sooner or later it kind of leaks out, and we become exhibits and monuments. But God wants to do a new thing. He wants to do something amazing through his church. Not just yesterday, not in the future, but today. Today is the day God wants to do something amazing through his church. Greater works that Jesus had said. The greater works are for today, not for tomorrow. The greater works that Jesus has empowered his church through his Holy Spirit. But what are those works? Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Back there once again, please. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Remember, it says, when the day of Pentecost had truly and fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound of, from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. And then that it filled the whole house where they were sitting. In verse 3, then there separated on them tongues of fire, divided tongues of fire, and one sat upon each of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Have you ever wondered what they were praying about there in that upper room? What they were asking for? What they were actually saying to the Lord during that time of prayer? Because whatever it was, we should really know and take it seriously if we want to receive the same power today. The Greek word for Pentecost, by the way, is Pentecoste, or the 50th day. Literally, it just means 50th day. In the Jewish liturgical calendar, if you subtract 50 days, it would take you back to the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover when Jesus was crucified. The secret to Pentecost is Passover. It's the root of it. It it points back to the Passover. It points back to Jesus. And so the purpose of Pentecost points to the cross. Everything since the cross, including Pentecost, points back to it. Calvary is the culmination and supreme manifestation of God's passion of his passion. And what is God's passion? His passion is lost people. His passion is to seek and to save the lost. If there's something that is heavy on the heart of God, something if it were possible to keep him up at night, it is lost people. That is why he sent his son, because he wanted to find that which was lost and restore that which was lost so he could be with him forever. From Eden, every interaction, every intervention, every communication was for that purpose. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my what? Boom. There it is. It's clear. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Boom. Next thing. So that you can become my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth so that you can be my witnesses. What's the purpose of being a witness of Jesus? Is to communicate the love of God, the gospel of Jesus, the salvation to all mankind. The Holy Spirit was given for this single purpose and is still today in this regard to his church. It is to transform us, but also collectively to seek and save lost people. That is the mission of the church. That is the purpose of God's church. In Luke chapter 19, 10, Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then Jesus has also told his disciples, John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I am also sending you. God is saying when the Holy Spirit's power has come, he will fill you with my passion. Then you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's coming was to fill them with his passion for lost people. I love what it says in the Acts of the Apostles on page 37. And if we wonder what they were praying about, here it is. It says the disciples prayed there in the upper room with intense earnestness. Guess what for? For a fitness to meet people in their daily conversations, to speak words that would lead sinners to Christ. They did not ask for a blessing for themselves merely. They were weighted with the burden of the divine passion for the salvation of souls. They realized that the gospel was to be carried to the world, and they claimed the power that Christ had promised. What were, they, what were they praying for? Not that they would be changed, but they would be empowered to accomplish the mission, to give them the passion for lost people that God had. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 again. Turn there with me. It says, but you shall receive power. And that power would be to be witnesses. But look what it says in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. 
Here he gives an outline to the book of Acts. Jerusalem is chapter 1 through 7. Samaria is chapters 8 through 10 in the book of Acts. And then to the ends of the earth at their time, the civilized world, chapters 11 through 28. The disciples took this seriously, and they moved out in concentric circles to accomplish the mission. Within one generation, the world was turned upside down. Not with a GPS, not airplanes or satellite, not social media, not even TikTok, but just a sailboat and a spirit filled with a passion for the lost. They turned the world upside down because the spirit's dunamis, the spirit's power. And I believe we're in the, in the, in the brink of Pentecost too. We're living close to the midnight hour of earth's history, and God has promised through the prophet Joel that before the second coming of Christ, God's spirit will once again be poured out in great measure. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32, the prophet says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass, and here's the gospel, that all who call on the name of the Lord will what? Be saved. Even the prophet Joel in the Old Testament declares the gospel and the purpose of the Spirit so that all through the Spirit's power, through the visions and dreams, through the prophesying, through the witness of God's people, that those who would hear the message would call on God's name and be saved by grace through faith. Hallelujah. If you think people are going to be scared into the kingdom because things are going to get scary at the end, that'll never happen. People will only be in the kingdom of God by knowing Jesus and the free gift of salvation that he came to offer. You can never scare anyone in the kingdom. It's only the love of God that will draw anybody to the heart of the Father. Even, even when things get rough. Remember, the Spirit is prayed down. It is not worked up. The book of Acts records many prayer meetings, but few private prayers, not that they weren't happening, but corporate prayer like a laser. <laughs> that this collective prayer was focused and intentional. And God answers these prayers with sending his spirit, sending his power to accomplish his work, filling them with his passion. No preacher, no book, including the Bible, will give you this passion. It must be infused by God. The upper room, they weren't watching the Hope Channel or 3ABN. They didn't have it. They weren't reading the latest books on evangelism. They weren't listening to a podcast or a TED Talk on how to witness. They were simply on their knees, pleading with the Lord. Their heart will be transformed and receive the passion of Jesus for lost people. Maybe we need to refocus our prayer today. Maybe it's time for us to stop praying for the Spirit so that Jesus can come faster and start praying for the Spirit so that more people can come into the kingdom. Amen? Because if our heart is not in the same place as God's, it will be in the wrong place. The passion of Jesus is for lost people. That's where he's calling our hearts to be passionate as well. There's a story of a preacher named James Stewart. It's not Jimmy Stewart. 
Oh, that's right, Juju. No, it's not that Jimmy Stewart. No, this is James Stewart from Scotland. So he actually was alive during the time of our Jimmy Stewart, right before World War II. And he was an evangelist. And I'm just going to read you this, this, little, this little segment here. It says that this great Scottish preacher named James Stewart, who was a large European city, uh, who was preaching there prior to World War II, preaching a revival series. It says the meetings began with only seven people on a Friday evening, but in five days had skyrocketed to thousands in an auditorium. With large numbers being converted, Stuart was astounded. One evening before the preaching, feeling utterly inadequate for the challenge of proclaiming the gospel to the huge crowd who had gathered, he went down to the basement to earnestly petition God. While praying in the darkness, he sensed a presence of power and realized that he was not alone. Switching on the lights in the far corner on their faces before God were 12 women. And in an instant, the preacher knew from whence came the supernatural outpouring. The power of the Spirit is not worked up. It is prayed down. I believe that we as the Adventist church, we as God's people, can learn a lesson from the disciples' experience in Acts chapter 1-6. Let's look there again. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. It says, Therefore, they asked him, saying, Lord, when will this time to restore the kingdom of Israel happen? They had it wrong. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. They ask this question in verse 6. They ask a very Adventist question. But Jesus gives them a very un-Adventist response. We say, Jesus is coming soon, but how soon? When? Tell us. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. It's not for you to be concerned about. But instead, he points them to something else. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. You don't need to know the date of my return. What you need is what my Father and I have for you, which is my passion to save this planet. That needs to be your all-consuming purpose. Notice what happens in verses 9 through 11 as we close here. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, obviously angels, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go to heaven. It was a gentle rebuke to the disciples. Why are you standing here? Why are you sitting there looking at the sky? How long are you going to stay here? He says there's work to be done. Stop sitting there looking up. Instead, start looking out. It's a gentle rebuke to two groups. First of all, those whose eyes are continually skyward only. Those who have settled in and have lost their expectancy as well. Many of us are are looking upward all the time. When are you coming back? How soon? When? And that's all we do. Looking up. Then others of us have been waiting so long and been hearing it so often growing up that we've lost the the sense of expectancy. He is coming. And I believe he's coming soon. But he doesn't call us to sit there and stare up in the sky and wait. 
Don't ever lose the sense of expectancy. Jesus is coming soon. The angels are saying, yes, Jesus is coming back again, but you can't gaze up into the heavens forever. There's work to be done. And immediately they went back to Jerusalem to become what? Witnesses. We have an Advent hope, a hope of Jesus' return, but we must not be so focused on the hope alone that we forget that Jesus is not just coming back for you. He's coming back for as many of his lost earth children as possible. And he has called you and I to be his hands and feet, his heart, to communicate his passion for the lost and to communicate his love and his grace and to live that love and grace to those around us. Not to be sky gazers, but to be his passion to the world. May the expectancy increase our urgency to get the word out to as many people as possible because of our passion for the lost. Remember, the power of the Holy Spirit is given for the sake of lost people. The mission of God and his church is all about lost people. The warning message of the three angels are all about God's passion for lost people. His imminent return is because of his passion for lost people. It is all about lost people. That's where the heart of God is, and that's where he's called our heart to be today. And so we've been talking about giving in the past few weeks, giving of our time, our talents, and even our treasure at times. Remember, we give by grace out of thankfulness. We give through faith because the economy of heaven does not make sense in the earthly economy of things. But also, when we give, we must remember that in every successive epoch and generation throughout all history, the gifts on the altar, whether it be our time, our talent, our treasure, always have been focused on the mission of God to save and seek lost people. That's what it's all about. That's why we are here as a Spring Meadows Church. We don't exist here to just have a wonderful and beautiful building as this is, but God has placed this building here with us as his church in it. This isn't his church. You are his church. We're just worshiping in this building that we call a church. But this is simply a mission launch pad to the people and the places around us. We must never look at it any other way. This is God's mission station for the world, for this section of the world. And he's called us. So let's be about his mission. Let's pray for his passion through the filling of his Holy Spirit today and every day. Amen.
gracious Heavenly Father, but we thank you again for your goodness and your grace. We thank you of your, for your promise of your Holy Spirit. Lord, the gift that you are more anxious to give than we are even to receive, but the promise that you said you'll give us if we ask. And so, Father, we pray today, you'd fill us with your Spirit. But, Father, may we pray for the right reasons, Father, for the filling, for your passion to be instilled in us, a passion for lost people, so that we can be about your work. And so, Lord, we pray that you bless us this week, guide us and direct us, lead us, we pray. We thank you, and we ask this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. As a reminder, we're going to have some elders up front to pray with you. If you have special prayer needs and you'd like an elder to pray with you, please make your way to the front, and we'll make sure that you have some time with that individual to pray with you. 
Also, if you fill out your cards since we collected them earlier, there'll be deacons in the back to collect commitment cards if you're ready to, to hand those in as well. And obviously next week or after that, we will still be accepting those as God is placing that on your heart. God bless. Have a great week. A blessed rest of your Sabbath. We love you. We'll see you soon.